Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and we are joined again today by author and podcaster August McLaughlin. For The Stacks Book Club, we are discussing Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. And yes, there will be some spoilers today, so please read the book before you tune in. All right, here it is, your weekly reminder. Everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the show notes. There is a link there that will take you to all the books discussed today, as well as the social media accounts for the Stacks and our guests. Plus, if you shop through the links on Amazon, you're helping to keep the Stacks free. If you're looking for an amazing book recommendation, send us an email to askingthestacks at gmail.com. Myself and my guest will read it on air, discuss it, and then give you a personalized book recommendation or five. So email askingthestacks at gmail.com with your name, what you're looking for, and maybe a few titles you've loved or hated. If you like the stacks and want to support the work we're doing, here are a few easy ways you can help. First of all, join us over on Patreon. That's a website where you support the work we're doing and earn perks for yourself. We've got a virtual book club, we got inside access to the show, and we have an amazing community of other readers who love the podcast. So head over to patreon.com slash the stacks to join in. The last thing you can do to help the show is definitely the easiest. Subscribe to the stacks wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review and tell your friends and family about the show. It goes a really long way to helping us reach new audiences. All right, now it's time for my conversation with August McLaughlin about Lisa Tadeo's book, Three Women. All right, everybody, we are back today with August McLaughlin. She's the author of Girl Boner. She's a writer, activist, podcast host, all around sexual identity and women's sex positivity. And yeah, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Tracy. I am so excited you're here. Today for the Sex Book Club, we're talking about Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. It came out in like mid-2019. It's a nonfiction book about three women and their lives as they relate to sex and intimacy, I think is probably the easiest way to say it. And while I'm not exactly sure what this conversation is going to entail because we haven't had it yet there might be some spoilers today. Nothing too major, nothing that you couldn't find from Googling. But if you really want a fresh, untainted experience of this book, go read the book and then come back. If you're on the fence about reading the book or you've already read it, keep listening. That's what I would say. 
Yeah. Think that's fair? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Okay. We always start in the same place. What did you think of this book? There's so much I love about it. Okay. The writing is gorgeous. Yeah. I feel um, brilliant. I mean, there are parts, it, it was almost the way when I hear Adele's voice and I'm like, what must it be like to open your mouth <laughs> and like Aretha Franklin comes out? Or, right, you know, like right. um, there was that feeling at certain times of just as a as a writer, just going like, oh, so much awe. Like right. this is art. Um, and she made some really unique choices, I thought, in the ways, like some of the viewpoints that shifted. And I love that it's these these three stories I thought were really all of them were compelling, super fascinating. I think a lot of people will relate to something Mm -hmm. um, about these people. The one thing that was a bit challenging for me that once I just set it to the side, it was fine, was some of the marketing around it has been like, this is the like women's desire revealed kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Or some of the reviews were saying things about how this is how women experience desire. Right. And this is how this is three women. Right. And when you think of it that way, I think it's a beautiful book. It's three women. It's their experiences. Right. And they're important stories, I think. Um, but I don't think that we can lump people together that way. Right. By gender or just, you know, every individual is unique. Right. Or that three people could speak for a whole huge group of people. Completely. A hundred percent. Yeah. I come down somewhere a little more critically, I think, on this book. I agree. I thought the writing was really good. I think, actually, I don't even know if the, to me, the writing is necessarily good, but the book is super readable. That's what I would say, which is a weird distinction that I sometimes like to make. It's kind of the Grey's Anatomy thing, which is that's my favorite TV show and I find it to be compulsively watchable. But when I look at Grey's Anatomy up against Breaking Bad, I recognize that maybe the quality is different. Do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. So like this book is so consumable. It's very consumable. Whether or not it's high art writing, I don't think that matters. I think this book is readable in a major way. However, overall for me, I just didn't find that there was enough contrast in this book. I didn't find that the women were different enough. And while I agree with you that a lot of the marketing was around women's desire, I actually went back after I read the book and reread the introduction that Lisa herself wrote. And she talks about how this book is about women's desire, which then made me think, if you think that this book is all-encompassing, what are we saying about what you think a woman is, right? There's, right. They're all cisgender. They're all white. Mm-hmm. You could make the argument that Sloan is not straight. Yeah. Given her pa- maybe pansexual yeah, or bisexual. Or bisexual or but that's not really said right. expressly. So I had a lot of issue with that. And mm-hmm. I also think the other thing that was really, when we'll talk more about all these things, but one of the things that was really challenging for me is after all the research that Lisa did, which I think she said eight years or something, I didn't feel like she actually came back as the author and made any points. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like she kind of just was like, I did all this research and this book is about women's desire. And then kind of was like, okay, let me just have these women tell this story. But if you're saying that it's about this bigger thing, what have we actually learned? Like, what did you learn? What do you, like, where's your reflection Mm. as our guide into this world? So because I also found the introduction and the conclusion to be quite good, I would have liked to hear from her more. Yeah, I hear what you're saying because the intro and the what, like when I got to the outro, it almost felt out of place at first because right. we've been away from her for so long. For so long. And I felt like it could have been two books. Like if you're reading it 
for the women's stories, then that's one book. Right. And I almost felt like it was trying to be more than that, but it wasn't. She didn't quite turn that. Yeah. And I don't know how you could make these three women's stories into like a self-help book, for example. Right. right? Like I almost felt like either the intro or the outro, maybe I liked that she talked about her personal life, but at the same time that it was kind of like presented as research. Right. You do expect it to be more nonfiction traditional. Right. Um, and it almost felt more novel-like, but true stories. Yeah. Yeah. It does It does feel very, really novel-like. And I have heard a lot of people who don't like nonfiction say how much they liked this book. And I love nonfiction. And so that also is probably part of it for me is I understand like I am looking for you to take these three women and tell me something if you're presenting it as uh, I hear what you're as saying. a piece of nonfiction yeah, yeah. versus memoir as told through. Mm-hmm. Cause that's kind of what we got. Totally. But without even real self-reflection from those women. Cause usually in memoir, it's kind of like, this is what happened to me and this is what I've learned and this is my journey, but we don't really get that either. Yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I, I do like the feeling of we're going on these journeys with these women. Yeah. Um, but as you pointed out, like I actually, when you first um, mentioned this book to me, I was, I thought I'm either going to like really love it or I'm going to hate it because yeah. not having, knowing nothing about it yet, right. just that it was about women's desire because right. any book that genders desire has problems for me. Right. Really. I mean, and I say that as a person who wrote a book about women's sexuality, but obviously I'm talking about it in like a really broad way. Right. Because so much of the content that we have is like women are this way, men are this way, very, right. very right. binary and very um heteronormative and all those things. Uh so I think it was a little refreshing to me that I was just having the stories because the stories I think mm. we can learn from and yeah. they're interesting. But yeah. It, if I didn't know that they were real people, I would have re- thought I was reading a novel. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard from a lot of people who have said that this book, um, they saw themselves reflected back. And I thought that that has got to be really powerful. If you relate to any of the women or any parts of the women, that those moments probably feel really gratifying. Yeah. And I don't want to take away from anybody who's had those experiences or who had that experience in reading this book, because I do think it's important to understand that you're not alone if your husband won't French kiss you, right? Or that you're not alone if your husband likes having threesomes or watching you have sex with other men or any other minor feelings or moments that come up in the book. So for that, I think that this book is important because it kind of, you know, lifted up the curtain and showed a part of women engaging in sexual activity that is often reserved for like porn, yeah, yeah, and I I really appreciated that because a lot of times too desire when in the context of anything female comes out as very um puritanical and like like that we don't really have ravenous sexual appetites that I mean right. not all but but many of us. Uh and I think I think in that way it's a brave and important book even to show that these these women all have sexual appetites. Right. I mean, that that is still something that people are stunned by sometimes. Right. So one of the things that I made me a little bit uncomfortable about this book is that I felt like a lot of the sex was driven by the men. Mm, that's interesting. Like that yeah. Sloan was... So really quickly, let's just go over the three women. So Maggie is the high school student who is in a relation and under she's underage she's in a relationship if you want to call it that with her teacher Aaron and it's about the the book 
when Lisa speaks to her, it's after the relationship. So Maggie is now an adult, but it's reflecting back on the relationship and there's a trial going on and all of that. Mm-hmm. Lena is a woman who is in a sexless marriage. Her husband won't even kiss her and she starts an affair. Well, she leaves her husband and then starts an affair with her ex-boyfriend from high school, Aiden. And then Sloane is married to Richard and Richard is into her having sex with other people and he likes to watch either in person or through FaceTime or whatever it is. And sometimes maybe it's uh, two couples and sometimes it's just her with another man. And so those are kind of the the like real quick overview of the stories. But did it ever feel like that the women weren't actually in control of their sexual desires necessarily mm. in this book? I would say, well, with Maggie, I thought what was so important about her story was they showed the grooming process so well. Yeah. I mean, she's abused and I mean, it's it's really, really intense. And they really, I felt like we really got to see all the the complicated feelings around that when you're a child and something's right. happening to you. So certainly she had no autonomy right. at all. Um, I think that uh, Lena, she, it did become that he, he definitely was the one who like, it, she wanted it all the time. And when right. he was available to her, then, you know, right. then he would, then she would go running. Right. Um, and I, I think that is a narrative that people of all genders can relate to totally. having happened. Um, it would have been nice. If, yeah. But I'm, I'm also like, well, these are true stories. So that's mm-hmm. where like what any time that I felt like, cause one thing um, in Sloan's story, there was one point where I was just like, it was hard for me to believe. And I, I don't know if I missed something or what, but to me, she seemed really into having, like, I thought she was initiating a lot of this right. exploratory sex and threesomes and all this different stuff. And then like toward the very end, like in her conclusion, all of a sudden it was like, she did it for him. And I was like, what? I missed, I didn't think that during her stories. I wasn't thinking that. Oh, interesting. It wasn't until she actually said that because, Hmm. and I don't know if she was admitting it to herself until then or something, Mm -hmm. but it didn't feel that realistic to me for her to, if that is what happened for her just to, I don't know if she had a sudden awareness or if, if I was just, I was reading that story as like, I know a lot of, not a lot, but I know people who very much would relate to her story, hmm. but they, they want that sex and they, they want to have multiple partners and all that stuff. So I thought it was like a more inclusive tale also being yeah. not just straight, um, until that point. And I was like, Whoa, I, I didn't understand that, but maybe I missed something. Hmm. I never, I was not surprised by that at the end, but I don't remember necessarily when I knew that. And it's also possible that I knew that going in, I might've read a review before. So I had that in my mind. I honestly can't remember. Um, But I feel like the scene where she is watching him have sex with the waitress gal who works with them and she's like not into it and she says like a part of her dies or whatever. I felt like maybe that to me felt weird. When did that, was that early? Early. It was like the first time that they had. Oh, she was having all those mixed feelings. Yeah. Like she was into it, but then when he, when she looked at him and he was enjoying himself Mm -hmm. and with another woman, it really hurt her deeply. I totally hear. Okay. That makes sense to me. Exactly. Especially what you were saying with your feelings around that. I think what I was thinking when I was reading that was 
most people, when they're just starting out something like that, it's yeah. so different from what we're told is okay. Right. So you're going to have or what you feel it might be. Totally. And that's why a lot of times, you know, in, in like sex educators and coaches and therapists will say, you know, take a baby step first because even if it is something you enjoy to be in this like orgy, right? you're not used to seeing your partner with somebody else. So I was reading that as mixed feelings because yeah. she was also having a lot of pleasure too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on exactly which moment in the book, but I definitely had those thoughts of like, this feels like the... Well, also because when she went and had that threesome later on, he was like, I can't believe you didn't call me in. Like, right. You didn't when she video- did one for herself. Yeah. And that was... Yeah. We didn't get to learn anything about him. There's some... there. Yeah. Really. I just... I think that maybe that's part of my issue with the book is that because the men are so important to these relationships, but we don't ever really get to learn about them, even if obviously she's not going to go interview them also, but more about their backstories or more about who they were or where that came from. Or maybe she could have interviewed them and got, I don't know. I just, especially Richard, the Mm. husband of Sloan. He was the one that I was like, I need to know about you. Yeah. He didn't have a personality really, which I I know she was telling the story again of these three women. So I was just thinking, this is how that person is experiencing this. Right. You know? Um, And so I was able to not kind of like, critique that so much, but it did occur to me how fascinating it would be to have people of all different genders so that it's not like, this is how women experience desire. You know what I mean? Because there are plenty of men who would be having those same feelings, who are pining and who are like, you know, waiting for the person to call so they can be there. Because if you think about it, if these were three men in the book, it would be criticized in another way, you know? Like if somebody said that the that the man is just so sex hungry, oh, right. he's just being a dude. Like right. he, it's totally. just boys are boys. And- right. I think this book could have benefited immensely from some diversity. Yeah. From someone who is either genderqueer or queer in their sexuality. I think that would have made a huge difference. I think that someone who wasn't white would have made a huge difference. I actually think that having three people who were all not white probably would have been really powerful and interesting because mm-hmm. we so often think of desire through the white lens. Absolutely. Right? That like yeah. being a sexy woman is okay if you're Angelina Jolie, but it's not okay if you're Tiffany Haddish, right? Like it's Absolutely. a joke all of a sudden or yeah. it's hypersexualized. Or I would love to have learned something or had a glimpse into an Asian woman because I know that there's a lot of you know, stereotypes and things wrapped up into Asian women's sexuality. So I I felt like by going this way, we Mm -hmm. lost out on a lot. Absolutely. Which does also tie into the whole idea of if this is supposed to be about desire as a whole and we're excluding people. Right. Because I don't know, it sounded like these three stories were chosen somewhat representative. Right. And what I do like is it brought up a lot the differences between gender when it comes to desire tends to be societal for the most part. Otherwise, it's very individual. Right. Very. Um, we're so much more alike than we are different, and yet we're all completely unique, which right. fascinates me. <laughs> right. Um, and so it it's, it's a really important uh, aspect to be thinking like, if these people had similar lived experiences, that that isn't representative. Right. Yeah. And, and just in the idea of being cisgender women, that right there is, a you know, like, so for the lack of diversity, like the, I, it 
Do you know what it kind of felt like to me? It felt like maybe she had this idea for this book. She talked to maybe, let's say, 10 women. And in the course of the election in 2015, 2016, as she's writing this book, she was like, I'm going to talk about women not in liberal circles. Like I'm going to, you know, like it felt like there was a choice maybe made Uh, to be like conservative almost. Yeah. To be like, see Bible belts. Yeah. Or like that we're not so different. Like women in other places are having relationships with their teachers, you know, like that, that maybe there was some attempt at something like that, but it's not representative Mm -hmm. if it's all if the majority of the identity politics line up for all three people. Right. And I mean, you only have about three that. people also. It's not like you have a huge swath. So Completely. <laughs> if you're going to do that, you've really got to make a choice. Like, yeah. I would have loved to see someone who was, you know, living below the poverty line or someone who was, you know, we talked about race or, or you know, like there's just so many things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why not do a super rich woman super rich, you know, Latina woman in San Francisco Yes, and put that against Maggie. Completely. Like, cause what things can we draw from those two stories? Yeah. You know? And, and in that way, it would have been fascinating to have a book of more like essays, maybe 50 women from across yeah. the country, all different socioeconomic levels, all different races, right. all different gender um, identities, orientations. Like that would have been more interesting because then also you see the thing that we need to learn about desire is that it is this, this beautiful, like, it's not even a spectrum. It's like the swirl of color. Right. And everyone is so different. It's very fluid. So that that piece is very much missing. Right. So I it only was enjoyable to me when I think about it as I'm I'm going through journeys with these women. Yeah. And Sloan's was not as compelling to me as the others. Interesting. Um hmm. did you find that one struck I, you more? I preferred Maggie and Sloan to mm-hmm. Lena. Okay. Lena kind of irritated me. Because I just I I could I didn't like Aiden. I felt like Aiden was fucking with her in a way that was mean. Mm. So I just wanted to be like, Lena, girl, he's just not that into you. Like, go find another dick. Like, you can yeah. do it. You can do it, Lena. Oh, you know? Yeah. Like, And so I just – in the beginning, I was rooting for her. But by the end, I was like, girl – yeah. No, the cigarettes, like the car, just come on, honey. No. Yeah, he's like, not into you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was – it was – that was a really interesting – her storyline was fascinating to me in that – it really seemed clear that she 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 was missing affection and she was missing sex and intimacy. She didn't actually love this guy. She didn't know right. this guy. Right. And he just wanted the sex and she just wanted the sex. Right. But because women are taught that if you want sex, you have to want a marriage with the person. Right. Like at least she probably learned that just given her personality right. and the things that were happening. I wish that there were scenes of her talking to a therapist, you know, like right. that would have been fascinating to see like the layers and because mm. then it's more nonfiction too to go, where did you learn this? Like mm-hmm. what is it that gives you the impression that you're going to have a life with this man who mm-hmm. you, you only knew as a teenager right? and now you love the sex and that's great. Um, I will say though, I loved, this was one of the scenes that made me cry. She had period sex and she was mm. talking about her chronic pain. And I thought it was a really beautiful, cause this was towards the beginning too. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. We didn't know how into it mm-hmm. he was. Um, but it was, it was so important. I thought in that we don't have any depictions of these really common conditions. Right. Um, you know, all of it that, that there's period blood that to me, that's groundbreaking in a book. Right, totally. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. That you're right. That was such a moment of 
I've never seen this before yeah. in a book. Yeah. I think that another place where these three women are more similar than different is that they all experience sexual trauma or emotional trauma early in their lives. And I think that that is very common. But I also wonder about how that affected their sexual lives moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And not to say that any, I don't believe that any sexual behavior or sexual trauma young is indicative of any behavior later. I think that that is something that we're taught. Like if you're abused, then you're going to go and be, you know, a sex worker or that you're going to have a problem with having an orgasm. I don't believe that those things are always true or even ever true. They might be true for some people, but not on a bigger scale. Like I think you can't draw those lines necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it's interesting that in this book about women's desires, the other thing we learned about women, if we take this book as what it presents itself as, is that women all have sexual trauma and therefore have weird, in quotes, sex lives. I also noticed that and there are good parts of that and there are bad parts of that. Right. (laughs) Because on one hand, yeah, it is incredibly common. And one of the reasons that, like, for example, the, the orgasm gap that we hear about, one of the reasons for that is because trauma and abuse and oppression are major buzzkills. Right. Like that is the biggest, if you lump those things together, that is the thing. Right. Um, and, and most of us deal with that. Uh, so I, I appreciated that. But I also don't like to draw those lines between, because a lot of times people think that if you are polyamorous, you for sure were traumatized as a child. Right. Because why would you want two partners? Why would you choose that? Yeah. It would it would be nice to have a, you know, a happy story or, or somebody who's having at least fulfilling. Right. Or someone who didn't, who didn't, wasn't exposed to the early death of their mother or, you know, like there's like these stories were so devastating mm-hmm. in so many ways before we even get to these women, like their, their origin stories, like Maggie and the guy in Hawaii. Oh and like, it's like Maggie's how many times just, oh. does Maggie have to be raped for us to, you know, like, it's like, I we, know. I don't know. I don't know that Maggie's story needed two other stories that were so, so like, yeah. or cause also Lena was raped. She was like gang raped. Yes. Like it's like I don't know that And her brother like asked to Yeah. Have sex with her once. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think like co- I would have loved a healthy not not that, that I mean those are things are not healthy, right. but I would have loved someone who had sex for the first time when they were in college and like they were dating the person and they felt really good about it and it didn't work out, but you know, there it was consensual and there it wasn't binge drinking. It wasn't right in front of a camera. It just was like kind of run of the mill, not so great virginity losing totally, moment. Totally. Because you know? then that person could still, could still have go, a big issue yeah, to could deal still with. Like be have a married story to arc. Richard and Completely. could still have a husband who yeah. likes to be like, likes to watch his wife sleep. Yeah. Like I would have just loved to see that because I feel like a, a little bit, the lines were drawn that trauma begets trauma when it comes to sex. And yeah, for some people, that is definitely the case. And for some people, it's not. And I think some of it has to do with therapy and your community totally. and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And if if Sloan had – if she had been enjoying her experiences the whole time and wasn't doing it just for him, mm-hmm. um, that could have been a very healing thing. Like a lot of yeah. people go to 
I shouldn't say a lot, but some people go to BDSM to heal from trauma. Hmm. Some people have rape fantasies um, and do like therapeutic reenactments where they are in control Hmm. and they like a little bit of the pain and it turns them on and then they are able to have their own healing, cathartic sexual experience and they might – they might stay involved in that kinky, um, consensual, pleasurable violence that they experience. Right. Or you can be involved in kink and never have gone through all of that. Right. But that would have been a cool thing if actually Sloan was doing all of that. And it was it was what she actually wanted and found healing. But what I sensed from her was she always felt invisible. Like right. her whole entire life. Her whole life. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last Three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Well, so you and Sloan do share a history of eating disorder Mm -hmm. and you talk a lot about it in your book. I think that section is really interesting and powerful and I had never ever in my 33 years of life heard someone expressly say that there's a connection between eating disorders and sexuality, not for everyone, but that that can be there. So I'm just, I would love for you just kind of to talk about that a little bit 
um, from your experience. Yeah. I didn't realize how connected those things were for me until I was in that college class that I had talked about where I had this awakening where I realized I hadn't been talking about sex and I started this exploration. It was in hindsight years later that I realized that was the moment I stopped wanting to starve myself. Hmm. So I don't think it is connected for every everybody, as you said, but it's interesting to me that when you go through eating disorder treatment, you will cover everything else. Mm. You know, people ask me about my spiritual life. They mm. asked me about my my cognition, um, my physical health. Was I menstruating? How is your sleep? How are your moods? Like, what about the other quality of life issues that involve sex? Um, because if somebody had asked me that early on, that would have brought the epiphany earlier. You right. know, it would have been the thing that helped me heal. So there is often a connection. Um, if you Sometimes if you've been through like sexual trauma, that will affect, um, that will manifest into eating disorders for, for um, quite a few people. So yeah, it definitely can be connected. And it was interesting because in Sloan's story, I thought I might relate to her more because of that. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when I meet someone who's had an eating disorder, there's like a a kindred thing because you right. kind of understand something about each other that um, even even though I consider myself past tense healed for for years, I still understand like the hypersensitivity of someone and and you have a strong will and you mm. but not everyone is that way and she's not which is an important thing because not everybody with an eating disorder is like super determined you know has like right. control issues whatever I just I didn't relate to her as much hmm. but uh, I did think it was interesting and, and, and helpful to include at least, you know, the, the eating disorder piece because it is missing from conversations. It's, I mean, I've never heard it expressly said like that. Uh, Granted, I'm not an expert on sex or eating disorders, but it's something that when you said it in the book, I was like, sure, this makes a ton of sense. I can't believe I've never heard this before. Yeah. It is one of those. That's the feeling I had too. I was like, well, duh. It totally makes sense after the fact. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in the moment. When you respect your body, you treat it differently. Right. And, and that covers yeah. all different, all the different ways that you Completely. treat your body. And if you think about restriction, if you are somebody, most eating disorders evolve, involve at least attempts at restriction. Even if you're a binge eater, a lot of times you're like trying to restrict and that's what leads to the binging. Mm. Um, if you're anorexic, it's like your whole life. And you are restricting not only food, but pleasure. I mean, right. you're not getting pleasure from – like I I could eat thing, foods that uh, tasted terrible, but it tasted so good to me because I was eating something. And mm. like now I am I can really – I'm I care about the quality of the food and, you know, right. it's, it's just, I, I allow those pleasures. So right. I think that pleasure as a whole is such a huge, huge thing in our sexuality, but in our, in our whole lives, we have this idea. A lot of us, if we grew up in um, any conservative community or in certain religions or different de- denominations, we learn that restriction is like godly mm-hmm. or um, a way to be a better Muslim or like, it's just, yeah, it's, um, it's unfortunate. Right. Or like that abundance is bad or greedy in all things. Yeah. Huh. And I guess if you carry the thought about pleasure, whether it's food or sex or whatever brings you pleasure, restricting that is connected to any other kind of thing that brings you individually pleasure. Yeah. So if you're 
if it's food, whatever it is, it's connected to any other source of pleasure that you might have. Absolutely. And maybe those things aren't as physically detrimental, but they're still emotionally, mentally, mm-hmm. you're still fucking up your, your, your inner self, your, your inner good. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> like, let me take a deep breath and just it's process that. Well, it is. It's yeah. a lot. And these things are interconnected. And like you said, you were never asked about the sexual part of your life while you were going through treatment. Is that, is that treatment? Is that right? Yeah, Healing, whatever it is, sure. therapy. Um, and I wonder how many people who have had or are still battling eating disorders would benefit from conversations about pleasure in general. Oh, huge. Yeah, I think so. That's that's very insightful. I think one thing that happens too is somebody who's struggling with uh, body image issues or compulsive dieting or whatever might be struggling with, let's say, lack of desire. That's mm. pretty common if you're starving or restricting. Mm-hmm. And then that person will try to get treatment for that because they feel like they're not a good partner or mm. whatnot. So they're trying to fix themselves for somebody else, right? right? Uh, And when that is the case, I think what can be helpful is taking sex off the table and just Mm. saying, you know, what what role does pleasure play in your life? Do you prioritize it for yourself? Do you masturbate? Right. You know, those somebody who's self punishing is not going to be carving out time to have pleasure. Right. So it doesn't necessarily have to be sexual. Maybe it's that they take a five minute walk during the day when they have stressful work hours or something. Um, but that, that is something that I think we get from sexual empowerment has nothing to do with sex, but it's just living a more balanced life where we, we take care of ourselves in that way. Right. And we seek out pleasure. Yeah. You said masturbation. I don't even remember. Do any of the women in this book, are there any scenes of masturbation? I don't think so. I, I was, so yeah, I, I was really struck by that too. Um, and as I went deeper in, I'm like, I don't think even once, which was interesting because if you're pining for, a, she wanted affection too. Um, Lena. Lena. Yeah. So I get that hers was not just about getting off, mm-hmm. but when she was pining like that, he would masturbate. Right. Like he would want a picture of her and then he would masturbate. But it didn't occur to her. But she wasn't. Right. Which made me think, okay, I understand that because it used to not occur to me either. Right. Because that's not (laughs) what she actually wanted. She wasn't actually that worried about the sex. I I think she did want the sex. I mean, I think she enjoyed the pleasure in the sex and I think that she wanted it. But at least the story she was telling herself... Was like well, more she about wanted, the intimacy. She wanted a future with him. Yeah. And I think it was more about a lot of people who have affairs, they're, it's so much about them feeling like they have lost connection to who they are. Mm. And they seek somebody, some relationship that makes them feel alive again in a way they didn't mm. before. Right. And so I think he was just filling that role for her. Right. And I don't think she had it in her to go off and be independent. Right. She didn't seem to have that in her. And I, I feel like that that came probably from upbringing and society and all that stuff. But she didn't stand up and say, I'm not going to su- – she needed to have an out. She right. wasn't going to just walk away. I also did appreciate that they showed a male, a man, not being interested in sex because mm. that's very important too. Right. And common. And I feel like when we – whenever I was really – I was like, please don't make him be gay. Please don't make him <laughs> be gay. 
make everybody else be more diverse, but let's have him be straight. Right. Because I thought if the if the ending is like he's gay, right? That we're saying if you don't want sex and you're you have gay. a penis, then you're gay, right? If you don't want sex with <laughs> the woman, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Because for Lena, I think I think she enjoyed the sex, mm-hmm. but I think it definitely was wrapped up in being seen and being yeah. and having intimacy and being touched and being mm-hmm. kissed. Because she really goes off on that kiss, and she's like, and the sex is really good. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, kissing like, is like her fetish almost. She was, was like, so. Well, imagine yeah. being married for years and being depraved of just like something that's so easy. Like, I mean, I don't know. I believe all interactions should be consensual, but I feel like her husband could have just faked it. I mean, you know, a kiss is like, a kiss. Like, I mean, and he wasn't just like... But it's not a first kiss. No. It's not like you're actually saying like, <laughs> right. okay, I want to explore things with you. Totally. It's like, we're married. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't even cuddle with her really. He wouldn't even indulge her. It was That's yeah. pretty fucked up. I think he was asexual. Yeah, maybe. Um, which again, since we're... It's hard to like... Without the stories, we don't know. Yeah, without... That would have been fascinating though. That would have been great. Yeah. And it would have been another diverse mm-hmm. experience, something to look into but what we're left with is he's an asshole and he's just being mean to her for no reason he's very one-dimensional yeah because Mm -hmm. i feel like when you're in a marriage even i mean i'm i'm in a happy marriage but even when i'm not super into my husband for whatever reason i'll still do things that i know that he likes just because i'm like this it's easier just to do this nice thing and whether that's doing the dishes Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't have to be kissing or whatever i'm not convinced my husband's super into french kissing but (laughs) yeah but it could be whatever and you just do it because you recognize that this other person has things that you could make their life a little bit better. And yeah. for this husband, aside from perhaps being asexual, which is never said, he's just being an asshole. Yeah. He's not being kind like, to her. Just give her a hug. Like this right. poor woman. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I agree. There was – he came across as very arrogant. And then her girl cold. group was like, why are you bugging him about that? Remember? And it was yeah. like – what, what kind of girl group is this? Right. I hate these women. I know. It's really it, – that was really unfortunate. It made me feel like, you know, you're in the middle of this tiny little town in the middle of Iowa, you know, or something. Right. Like you it just, just feel – she just was so alone. So alone, yeah. Which I'm, is hard. I'm glad you mentioned the doing the dishes because that was – Sloane's fantasy <laughs> was – that was when I was just like, wait a minute. She Because I really thought that she was into the things other than that complicated first right. time. I thought that she – she was exploring and having fun. And then she's, she describes her fantasy. And I was just like, Oh, I mean, I'm, if that's, these are true stories. So I I have no judgment, but from like a plot standpoint, that was very frustrating to me just because the whole stereotype of women just fake, uh, they fake sex or fake orgasms to have a relationship and men fake relationships to get sex. And that women just want to have a clean house and like, turn me on by doing the dishes, which I get emotional labor is really important. Mm-hmm. So having somebody actually do the things and give you autonomy is is very important. Right. That should be like basic level. That shouldn't be like the only thing you fantasize about. But I was so shocked that that was her fantasy was right. to have him clean. Right. Do you think that some of that also comes from the idea that we're trained so early on from society to want certain things mm-hmm. that we lack the imagination to even have fantasies that are outside of these things? Uh, probably. Yeah, very well said because I feel that a lot of women don't learn that they, they don't have permission to fantasize. Right. You know, like I remember, I remember the first time I let myself fantasize. Hmm. 
I was, and I was already living in New York and I was working as a model and I was, I had a boyfriend back at home and it was an Allie McBeal episode that was on. I don't know if you ever saw that. Um, it's before your time, I think, but it no, was. I know Allie McBeal, Calista Flockhart. Yes, Calista Flockhart. I'm slightly she, older than you think. She, <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember having this like, my boyfriend and I were like on a break mm. and I I gave myself permission I and I couldn't stop thinking about this scene in the car wash mm. where like she has sex with a stranger and all of my roommates were, we all stopped. We were all like staring at it. And like, I was kind of like drooling on the inside of my <laughs> mouth all week because I never let myself do that. Right. And I, I didn't even know that I absorbed that message. Right. So some people still have that in them. I think it's still pretty common that, yeah, they lack the imagination because you're like, right you're supposed to want X, Y, and Z. Right. And if the thing that you're supposed to want is a clean house, the only way you can fantasize is within that restriction or something. Yeah. And so that that's what it is. Not that that's not a valid fantasy, but just that we're probably all more restricted in our fantasy lives than maybe we want to admit. Yeah. It's because of outside influence. Probably. And there's there's shame around fantasies too, which is fantasizing, it, if we allow it, then it's just like a not a big deal part of our lives. Mm-hmm. If we try to repress it, then they can fester. And that's where like a fetish will turn into an obsession. Right. You know, it, and uh, Dr. Megan Fleming, who answers questions on my podcast, uh, I love how she talks about fantasies. She said, people, you, you might fantasize about robbing a bank because you want money. Right. You're not going to do it. Like, right. <laughs> and so she always says, like, allow yourself to have the not clean, perfect, quote unquote, right. fantasies. Well, right. And, and we understand non-sexual fantasies for what they are. Like, the, I won't say who I had this conversation with because they might get mad at me. I don't think they'll care. But we we're talking about being in the kitchen. And do you ever just fantasize that you're going to just stab your own hand or that like someone's going to walk in the kitchen and you're going to turn around and you're going to stab them? <laughs> and like, it comes not from a place of wanting to kill anyone or self-mutilate, but that 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 conversation around knives in the kitchen is such a throwaway conversation that I've had with this person many times, weirdly. Uh-huh. Um, but it's never felt taboo. Yes, that's such a good point. Aside from right now sharing it with everyone else in the world who's like, <laughs> Tracy's a murderer. No, but you know, you have this knife or like, what would I do if mm-hmm. I cut my finger off right now chopping these onions? Oh, completely. And that is a form of fantasy. Yep. But there's no... No one's calling the police on me. No one's saying that I'm bad for having this yeah. thought. But when it comes to sexual fantasy, it's like you can't even yeah. say it out loud That's such a good point. because people will think that you're weird or gross or dirty or mm-hmm. in your in your world, not a good girl. Yes. Yeah. That is such an excellent point. You're so right. I mean, every writer would walk around with the what if questions. Right. I mean, it's creativity. It's, right. And our creativity and our sexuality are very innate Right. And interwoven too. I also think in America we have a weird problem with imagination. I don't know where that comes from. Do you think we always have or you think it has to do with like that we've become so always on video games and our internet and hmm. laptops? and? Well, maybe. But those people who make those things are creative and imaginative. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. We do have video games and things like that for kids, mm-hmm. but I feel like at a certain point we are, are you grow up, you grow up, you go <laughs> out of imagination. Yeah, that's true. Or like weird, we, we stop think playing. Things are weird. Yeah, we stop playing. That's totally right on. That totally ties into pleasure. It's like, why do something just for 
fun. Right. <laughs> right. Why that. try this thing if you don't already know? Unless that you're going to get paid for it or it's part right. of your goal or right. like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. And I've always been a more on the, well, I used to be really weird, creative, like kid performance. And as I got older, moved away from that because I think we're taught not to do that kind of stuff, which is why some of my favorite people are people that I'm like, that's a fucking weirdo. I love that person. Like to me, being weird is awesome. I don't necessarily think that it's a pejorative, though I know people hear it that way. Mm -hmm. But I think that weird is like how nerd has been reclaimed. Yeah. To me, weird and nerd are kind of in that same world where it used to be kind of rude to say, but I'm like, oh my God, you're a weirdo. I love you. Yeah. Like that woman's outfit is so weird. I'm dying. I Uh. wish I could dress like that, you know? (laughs) But I don't know why we are – I don't know about imagination. I have to think about it more. But there is something weird about – something wrong with imagination in society in general. Yeah. I agree with you there. I don't like it. I'm going to think about imagination. I'm going to come back to this, I'm sure. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, because you're an author and your book was marketed, I'm sure. Who do we think is responsible for this kind of bizarre marketing on this book? Do we think that that comes from the publisher? Do we think that that comes from the author? Because it is in her introduction, that Mm -hmm. whole, this is a book about women's desire. Mm -hmm. But I wonder because it also is very much it's on the you know in the um mm-hmm. jacket cover mm-hmm. i've heard it when i've seen her on publications and on tv talking about being asked about that as like a talking point mm-hmm. so i'm just curious like and maybe maybe not that it's blame but maybe the responsibility falls on multiple things but if you could speak to kind of that process. Yeah, I would say it's probably layered. Uh, I kind of felt in the intro, because the last line of her intro, I think says something like, this is a story of three women. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting to that line and feeling a little relieved. Yeah. So I don't know if that was, she wrote the three stories and then, because she couldn't write the intro until after she wrote the stories. Right. Right. She's talking about the stories and her research. Right. So I know for sure she had input. Right. I don't know how much. Um, and every publisher is different. Uh, she obviously has a very large publisher. Um, sometimes you have less say depending on, right. you know, where you are in kind of the hierarchy of things. Um, I'm curious though, in the interviews, did she say? No. She didn't say. No. Yeah. I. There had to be – the publishers are always thinking in numbers. Right. So there had to be a reason. And I think it's a lot catchier to have a book about women's desire, mm-hmm. then I'm going to tell you about three women. Right. Which unfortunately, you know, the three, if it were just, this is a book about three women, that would have made the experience for me, like that's how it would feel the most pleasurable. Right. Um, the, I think it gets people in the door mm-hmm. to go like, oh, this is an expose. Right. It, it does feel marketing. But don't you feel like if that's what it is, then she, we do need her voice again. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like even the publisher, the marketers also wanted her to come back and tell us what we've learned. You uh, know, like it's like totally. every, I feel like everything about this book could have been enhanced if she came back yeah. and said, and this is what I learned from this. Right. Like because, do you see X, Y, and Z? Right. Because there were only a few – the epilogue was super interesting because it goes in and out of her own story mm-hmm. and then she goes into the other characters yeah. again, which was really unique. Um, 
And I, I just I wanted to ask her questions about like, why did you make this choice? That's so right, interesting to right. me. Um, I mean, it worked. It just felt a little like I've never seen that before. Right. And, and it was just interesting and unique. But there are a few times where she'll say something like in the epilogue, she says, when, even when women are being heard, it is often only the right types of women who are actively heard, white ones, rich ones, pretty ones, young ones. So, But that's your book. Right. Exactly. Like that's who's in your book. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe sometimes people get the ARCs, the advanced read copies, mm-hmm. and then things change. So right. somebody might have said something about the diversity. Right. You know, um, who knows? Like there's little, there are some little takeaways that she mentions. But yeah, if it was going to be just about, like if the focus is women's desire, because there's something so, it just, for me at least, feels very violating when you think a book is going to be something. Like if it's marketed, there was a book I read that was marketed as um, a bit of a thriller. It was a memoir, but a bit of a thriller mm-hmm. with centered, centering around like one specific plot. Mm-hmm. And that plot turned out to be like a little 10% of it. And it was just like a standard memoir that was like whole life story biography. Mm-mm. And it made me very upset. So this has happened to me before on memoir. Yeah. It happens a lot in memoir. Interesting. I hate it. I wonder if that is the the marketing. Yeah. Um, I think we would be totally irresponsible if we didn't just talk quickly about Maggie yes. because I feel like Maggie is presented to be in a relationship and Maggie is not in a relationship. Maggie is being abused by her teacher as an yeah. underage child right. and she's sexually assaulted and raped. I mean, I, I, I guess there's technical terms for rape versus colloquial terms, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but in the colloquial sense, because I right. guess there's no penis into any body part. She didn't have like vaginal intercourse forced on her. But he manually. Yeah. She was raped. Orally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the way that I was reading the book, because it is these women's stories, I was thinking this is Maggie's perspective. Mm -hmm. So that's why the grooming felt so powerful to me that she feels so, he gets her to believe that it's a relationship. He gets her to believe gets her to be obsessed with him right. because these are her formative years. Right. Like her her first major sexual experiences are rape. She doesn't know it's rape, but it feels good. And right. so she, um, I do wish, because it does get to a point where she finally, through other people's eyes, discovers, right. oh, that's what that was. Even then though, I mean, it was, it was not enough. I wish there'd been more of that. Right. Yeah. Do we, in your work, in your years of doing this, because I feel like you have a better sense, is it even considered desire if it's through grooming and through abuse? Mm. What an excellent question. I mean, desire is, I mean, you can feel hungry because somebody put a bunch of, you know, food in front of your face. Like Mm -hmm. you can have reactions. So like, Mm -hmm. for example, having an orgasm or feeling physically aroused, all of that happens very often in abusive relationships. Right. So I think, I think she's experiencing desire, but she doesn't, she doesn't realize that because he's such a massive, like very skilled manipulator, Mm -hmm. I mean, just like sociopathic basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would, I would say she was feeling desire, but she was absolutely being abused the entire time. Right. That there's, that you can feel a physical thing Mm -hmm. without actually it being authentically, like that you can be manipulated into feeling something physical without having the the true desire mental part of it 
was related, was not necessarily connected to the physical pleasure of it or vice versa? You know, I, that's a hard one to, to answer, I think, but I do, I mean, cause I think she, he got her to be very emotionally into him. Right. And he got her to be very physically into him. But right? not through truthful, open exactly. ways, I guess is what yes, I mean. Totally. Like, I, like I was thinking about like, you're saying you can be in an abusive relationship and have yeah. a real orgasm. Yes. Like that those two things, what you physically feel isn't necessarily tied to the emotional part of it. Cause True. then when you go and you go have therapy or you go to talk to someone about that abusive relationship yes. and this the pleasure of the sex mm-hmm. and the abuse of the relationship aren't right. mutually exclusive, which right. I think is what makes it hard. Absolutely. If you could separate these oh. things totally. It's so easy. It would be so easy. I mean, relatively. Like, it's right. much more – it's much easier to separate then. Right. Because one of the reasons that it's hard for survivors to speak up is like they feel so complicated about – like complicated emotions about right. all this. Because they feel like I enjoyed this. Right. So it wasn't all bad or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Or I asked for this. I yeah. wanted this thing. And I do think of all of the things in this book that I had issue with, I think that there is – there. I felt like it was irresponsible the way that mm-hmm. Maggie was presented. I felt like – the author had an obligation to come in and say clearly to us, I, as a responsible adult telling this story, recognize this as rape, Uh. assault, whatever, because, and this would be probably the only spoiler on the episode. So if you haven't read the book, 30 seconds, fast forward, because the judge and jury then say that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. If the judge and jury had said that it was assault and that, the teacher was at fault and had done something wrong. I don't think that the author would have to say it, Mm. but I kind of feel like the author has to say to us, she was only 17 years old. She was only a girl. She was manipulated and she was put in a situation that was unfair and unsafe for her. That's it. That is, you know what I mean? I completely hear what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. Um, I liked that. I liked that they did, have the the parents believing her mm-hmm. and the parents and then the mom finds more handwriting samples. Right. So she finds more proof and evidence. Right. So like there's no question, at least there was never a question for me. Like Maggie's not, we're in Maggie's head. Right. Right. So this is Maggie's story. I would believe her anyway. Like this is to me it's right. very obvious that this is abuse. Right. But I do that was a really good point you made about her mentioning it even in the intro to say there is an underage person in this story right. because I did see after reading the book, uh, I saw, I went to the Amazon page and just looked at a few reviews and one of the negative reviews that was like, you know, r- they ranked them by the most popular. Right. And it was, one of them was saying something about, uh, that she was having this inappropriate relation. Like she, this reader didn't get it. This reader right. thought that she had an inappropriate relationship. And she even <laughs> said something like, well, she should have known better. And I was just thought, oh my gosh. Right. I mean, also like if I want to be really nitpicky and I don't know that I do, but I do think it's worth just throwing out there. If this book is about women's desires, how is an underage girl in this book? Mm. You know, mm. like she's a girl. Yeah. We sexualize. Does she even turn? I mean, by the time we, by the time Lisa Tadeo gets to this like by the time we get to the trial and stuff she's an adult she's an adult but yeah. no she's but he's waiting for her to turn 18 remember that's, oh that's right and Before then they will and then he has the birthday and the wife finds out that's right yeah i guess i guess she was probably thinking 
she met Maggie as an adult because she's a real person. Right. So she's telling her story. And in order to tell it, she went to the backstory. Right. But it didn't even occur to me right. that because her story's first. And her two sexual encounters that we actually hear about are when she's underage. We never find out about her desire as an adult. As an we, adult. Really? I don't think not other than that she still has feelings. Like yeah. she still has some obsessive feelings for him. Yeah. If if there's anything else, I think she maybe date dates someone at her job afterwards or something, but it's not central to her story. No, it was very like passing the time kind of stuff. Yeah. Like she would, ha- she had some casual dates and stuff. Right. But like the majority of her sex story that we're presented with is her as a girl. I wonder if the author chose the title. Yeah. I would be very curious to know about the title. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, we, so that's actually the next thing we're going to talk about before we get out of here is we, I always talk about the title and the cover and yeah. this particular title it needs another word. It needs like these three women or like, I don't know. Three women in how you were saying, like this is specific population. So yeah. something that lets like you know. Like three white ladies. Yeah. Or yeah. like, I don't know. Or like something that's like in these beds or something that's like very specific to mm. these people, mm. whoever these Because pe- the women sounds too broad to you? Is it like, it sounds I, like all women? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like all women because it's not all women, but sure. like maybe part of my hesitation against the title is because I've read the introduction and I've read some of the things after mm-hmm. the fact. But to be honest, a hundred percent honest, when I saw this book, I thought it was fiction before I ever clicked anything about the book, just seeing it on my Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be like three women. Like I thought it was going to be like sex in the city. That's what I thought. Yeah. Cause there's no subtitle and there's nonfiction no subtitle. usually has a subtitle yeah. that tells you what you're going to There's learn. no subtitle and it's like yeah. the white with the black and it's a little bit of red. And it just felt huh. very like one of my least favorite terms ever. It feels very women's fiction on ah. the outside to me, the yeah. packaging. Yeah, I think I would I would have thought this was fiction too. A hundred percent. It doesn't say a novel, but it also doesn't say three women, the story of three women's sexual desire right. in America in 2019. Totally. There's just fine print at the top in Elizabeth Gilbert's blurb that says it's nonfiction. Right. But then on the back, the blurbs, like this is the one that when I first saw, I was like, uh-oh. Cause it says from it just says New York. And I don't know who said this. Oh, I have different blurbs. Oh, interesting. Oh, you do? Because I don't have... You have the sticker, the New York Times bestseller sticker. Oh, okay. I have the original... Like, I got this before it came out. Does that say Esther Perel? Yep. It also has Dave Eggers, which I find to be very weird. Oh, that is weird. Do you have this one from New York? The most in-depth look at the female sex drive and all its accompanying social, emotional, reproductive, and anthropological implications. It's been published. No, but if I had that, I probably would burn this book. I mean, not actually, but if I had that, I'd probably burn the jacket. That's crazy to me. Yeah, that doesn't... Especially knowing what's in this book. One person's opinion, that's fine, but like to put on the cover... And, and to I say don't New think York. That, that Lisa Tadeo had. No, she doesn't have anything to do yeah, with Yeah, all of New York. Yes. <laughs> all of New York thinks that this book is all encompassing of all women yeah. everywhere, period. What does Esther Perel say? Because she's an incredible sex therapist. Like she's, she's one of the yeah, best. She's one of the, the leaders. Mm-hmm. She says Three Women offers a fascinating excavation of the intricacies of love and desire, where they conspire and where they conflict. Read this book. You'll forever rethink the erotics of women. Mm. I just think all of this of women. That's what bothers That's me. That's what bothers me. Yeah. If it was, I like you, Gwyneth Paltrow's blurb. I couldn't put it down. Yeah, great. That feels real to me. But yes, this like of women, this women, this book is not my experience and I'm a woman. Right. So 
there we go. It's already a lie. Do you know right. what I mean? Like you right. can so quickly go in and yeah. say, this isn't totally women because it's not my experience and I identify as a woman. So therefore, you know, and that's like a really not thoughtful way of having that conversation, but it's very quick and easy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Maggie's story felt like a, it was reading like a thriller to me. Yeah. It has very, it had suspense to it. Yeah, totally. And like bite. And it's to me, that was, it was really int- like, I know, I know people because I talked to, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of right. women about sexuality. Um, I know people who would relate to so many parts of all these different things. Mm -hmm. Like I could, I can Mm -hmm. think of people. So I appreciate it for that. Right. I just, yeah, I just wish it was presented more as what that is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you title the book differently to make it more clear. Maybe it is just the matter of having a subtitle to say what the book is supposed to be. Though I don't know that I would trust the subtitle of this book because I think it would say something about and the inner workings of women's sexual desires yeah. or something. But at least there would maybe be a space to be like three women, the story of three women and how and what that teaches us about sex in America, you know? Yeah. And even still that's too maybe encompassing. You have to choose a geographical location. Right. You know, like something to make it like. Well, two of them are in the middle of America and then Sloan is like. One's in North Dakota. Yeah. I think Maggie's North Dakota. Sloan is not Martha's Vineyard, but she's Cape Cod or something like that. Yeah. Somewhere out Northeast. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just wish. I know they changed some locations. Like she said, well, she said she changed details. Oh, right. That's right. But I don't know what details, was, but names right. and locations. The two other women's names are not their names, but Maggie is oh, Maggie. Maggie is. And oh, Aaron I know is that. Aaron. Yeah, because it's in the public discourse. So if you Google oh. Maggie, three women, you can find all the oh, that's court fascinating. stuff. Yeah, which I've done. Wow. <laughs> I will do that. I did a little bit of it. Um, okay. I think we should get out of here. I feel like we've covered most of the bases, though I could talk about this book more and more. It's one of those books that I didn't necessarily... I liked reading it, but I had a lot of negative thoughts, which is almost always my favorite kind of book for the show. Oh, interesting. Because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, if you like everything and think it's great and 100%, it's like, okay, five minutes later, (laughs) next. Like, I think that there's just so much to discuss in this book. Yeah, it's thought-provoking and it it makes you want to have discussions, which is good. Right, exactly. And I think there's a lot to discuss. And I also am so glad you were here and you were the guest because I think that you have such insight into sex and desire and women and people who identify as women and people who have identified as women in the past. And I just think that there, it was a good match. So thank you so much for being here, August. Thank you. And thank you for suggesting this book. I'm really glad I read it. Oh, good. And I love your show. And this was just a really fun conversation. Yay. I love it. And everybody else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to August for being our guest. I'd also like to say a thank you to the folks over at Avid Reader for sending us a copy of Three Women. You can find everything we discussed on today's episode in the link in the show notes. Make sure to get your book recommendation read on air by sending us an email at askingthestacks at gmail.com. For more from The Stacks, please follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join the Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, head to patreon.com slash the stacks. Make sure you are subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 